Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this week's edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the win over UVA. We'll preview Boston College. We'll break down baseball night in Blacksburg. And we'll cap things off in our second segment by discussing Virginia Tech's first women's basketball victory in program history ever over the NC State Wolfpack on the road in Raleigh, North Carolina. That's coming up on episode 283 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. And we get things going right now. We record on Tuesday, February 7th, 2023 from the Tech Sideline Studio at the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center right here in the beautiful Blacksburg, Virginia. We welcome you in, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you consume your podcasts or watching on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe while you're there, and also turn on the notification bell so you do not miss any of our awesome TSL content. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and trust company they're giving away one free annual tsl pass subscription every week from january through mid-march to enter hit the link in the youtube description or find one of their ads on the techsideline.com website be sure to enter every single week and remember that who you choose to bank with can make all the difference in your overall experience first bank and trust company is the bank that puts you first visit www.firstbank.com com to learn more. All right, thanks so much for being with us today. Excited for a great show. Across the way, managing editor David Cunningham is on the set. To my right, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman. In the fourth chair today, founder and general manager Mr. Will Stewart, everybody's boss on set today, and behind the scenes producing your winner the Smithfield sizzle against UVA and Castle Coliseum, none other than Mr. Nick Brown. I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. Again, thanks so much for being with us. How's everybody doing? How's everyone feeling? David was traveling. Chris has been uh, busy, right? And Will's got a lot going on. Everybody's busy. It's a busy time of the year as we move towards the end of basketball season and transition into the spring, but uh, it's a great time nonetheless. I feel like last week wasn't so great from a sports standpoint ever since Friday night. It's been all rosy. Yeah, very cool. What, was it um, wrestling 45 nothing Friday? <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, <laughs> that was a destruction. <laughs> right. So the interesting thing about wrestling was that when Jack Brizendine did our preview for that, uh, I don't think this is a Jack prediction. I think he got it off a of WrestleStat, but wherever he got it from, he predicted 48 nothing. No, yeah, Jack, no, Jack, no, Jack predicted it. straight up Jack? Jack predicted it, yeah. Well, and wow. Jack, I think, so Jack gave Tech basically like, I think he probably thought there would be like another pin, another pin or two in there, <laughs> extra bonus points. But but uh, it wow. ended, he ended up being three points off. I looked at it and I thought forty eight nothing. I've never seen anything like that. Like if if points don't get deducted for unsportsmanlike conduct and stuff like that, basically sixty to nothing is the best you can do. Right. So go going hard to the hole and say 48, 48 and, to nothing. And and yeah. how 
how often does a shutout happen in wrestling? That's a good question. Not very. Yeah. You have to be not very good. Right. So you have to pin people or, ma- or major decision people, and, and they get no takedowns on you, no reversals. Well, it's, it's, no. that's results of individual. So you have to go through all 10 weight classes without the other team even winning one of them. Okay. Right, right, right. Typically, like, like even Duke. Duke's bad, but they, they had an endless stream of, of fine silvers wrestling for them, and the fine silvers could always, could always be counted on to win one yeah. or two here and there. Right. So you'd beat the pants off of them, but they'd at least score, but this time around they didn't So it's score. like the football equivalent of winning a game like 90 to nothing. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. sort of what it's like. All right, Mercy well, rule. It'd be, it'd be, it's like a Virginia Tech-Syracuse game back in the in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, like uh, that was messed up. 62 nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, that was uh, well, col- college game day was at that game. Yeah, you, that's right. Yeah. All right, well, let's uh, let's transition. And after David decided to shatter my heart, we'll talk a little bit. <laughs> you weren't even the, born yet. That's yeah. true. That's true. Uh, let's dive into this Virginia Tech-UVA uh, matchup on Saturday. Um, you know, didn't it just feel like on Saturday when you woke up from the get-go, especially once Tech had a couple of early scores, that they just were going to pull off a big one? I felt like from the beginning it looked good for Tech. I thought Tech would win before the game started. Yeah. I always think Tech's going to win at home. I think any good team is going to win at home. Uh, Virginia Tech, they've lost twice at home this year, but that was when they didn't have Couture. If they had had Couture, they'd be unbeaten at home right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was not surprised. I was expecting Virginia Tech to win. I just like I was expecting them to beat Duke, and they did it. And I think there's a decent chance Tech can win out at home from, from here on out. Yeah, I would agree. I thought Tech came out with the energy, got off to a quick start. Um, similar theme to last night's women's basketball game, that that's that's two games in two in three days. Virginia Tech basketball, the men and the women have played, and the opponent never led. Mm-hmm. UVA tied it a couple times, three times. NC State never tied it last night after it was zero zero. Um, a hot start. Hokies got off to on, on Saturday, and UVA crawled back in it. But it was like every single time, you know, UVA made a run. Tech answered. And the crowd was into it. That was one of the best crowds I think we've had all year. We've had some really good ones. Um, but, yeah, you, you could kind of feel that. And, again, this was a, a game that 10-point margin in Charlottesville was actually a lot closer than that. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that was Couture's first game back. Um, this one, Couture didn't necessarily have its his best start. You know, he made three of his last four shots. We'll get into it. We'll but, get into it. But, <laughs> but like, Tech all around w- was was pretty solid. And the flip side, the defense wasn't very great in that first game. The defense kind of carried them this time. Yeah, it was, I thought, one of their better defensive performances of the season, especially if we consider the, the quality of the competition. And, and that was the difference. Um, I think if they'd have gotten that kind of defensive performance against Miami, they would have won that game. Yeah. No, Miami's a whole different animal offensively, of course. Yeah. But, uh, they looked real good last night against Duke. <laughs> yeah. got a chance to yeah. see that. Yeah. And then that was in Miami, right? Yes. Yeah. Last night. Yeah. Duke is, uh, I don't know, when you reload your freshmen, when you, when you, re, you reload your team with freshmen every year, I don't want to talk about Duke, but that's what you get. Right. So what else went right? Let's let's get into the X's and O's a little bit here. What went right for Virginia Tech uh, against UVA on well, Saturday? Well, I, I thought Sean Padula played like the best player on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to him after the game, and 
Justin Mutz was like, yeah, I think Sean took Sean took this one a little personally. And I asked Sean. Sean was like, yeah, I, I did. And, and not in a way where it was like in his head and he was, you know, trying to do too much, but more so in a way where he used it as motivation. And he wasn't perfect, but he was composed. Mike Young said he played like Virginia Tech's point guard. He didn't do too much. He made the right plays. He let the game come to him. And I thought that's really why Virginia Tech won the game. And his defense, yes, he had four fouls, so he didn't necessarily play defense on Kihei Clark for like the final six to eight minutes of the second half. They switched Couture onto him, and he played very well. But his defense, particularly in the first half on Kihei Clark, set the tone. And as I wrote um, before the game on Friday, I said one of the keys to the game is just slow down Kihei Clark. He's the guy that makes Virginia go. And Padula's defense, he didn't let Kihei disrupt him. And I think that was the big difference. Um, everybody else kind of fed off of Padula's good play. I agree with that. And I think the other key was whenever they tried to trap Mutz, whenever they tried to double Mutz, he always seemed to make the right play with the ball and find an open man. Uh, I think Tony Bennett even mentioned that and, and maybe one of the one of the UVA players after the game, that every time they tried to double Mutz, yeah. he was able to find the open man. So I thought the ball movement for, for Virginia Tech was uh, was very crisp. I mean, you know, when, when you 74 points against UVA is like scoring – 80 to 85 against somebody else. Right. Yeah, yeah. just simply because of the pace and, 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 you know, the level they play at on the defensive end. So I thought that was a, that was a, just about a complete offensive performance. Yeah, I would agree. And I thought, I thought to the point about Mutz, I asked, I jokingly asked him after the game, I was like, do you like it when people trap you? And he's like, oh, yeah, because the reason why you trap is to make people panic and get mm-hmm. them flustered. And he's like, I don't really, panic that much anymore he's like I kind of know what to expect and he had multiple passes where they tried to trap him whether it was on the baseline or a little up more towards the wing and he's got one cutter coming down the lane and then if that pass is not open there's somebody open in the opposite corner ready to shoot and and he had what eight assists I mean Mm -hmm. he 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 made all the right plays and you know tech Tech had probably a little bit more turnovers than I think Mike Young would have liked, but it wasn't egregious, and it it wasn't like those turnovers necessarily killed them. And I think Mutz being able to pass out of that, um, it kind of opened up everything else. I read that this is Virginia's third worst defensive team under Tony Bennett. His worst two were his first two seasons at UVA, yet they're still a top 10 team in the country. Uh, Virginia Tech, like you just mentioned, Chris, dropped 70 point, 74 points on UVA, which is the most that they've scored on the Cavaliers since 2017. Before that, it was 2010, and this is by a very slim margin as well. What does this say to you guys about how Virginia Tech has continued to figure things out offensively? Uh, I think the more Basili has settled yes. into things, uh, I think that's made them a lot better offensively. So him settling into things and adjusting to the pace and physicality of ACC basketball sort of coincided with the return of, of, of Couture. Or maybe it happened a game or two earlier than that. But uh, I, th- I think, again, I mean, I said it last week, I think Virginia Tech is a better basketball team right now than they were when they were 11-1. and one. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I think they're a much better basketball team right now, to be honest with you. And uh, hopefully, hopefully they win enough games down the stretch where they can make it into the NCAA tournament. And losing Couture 
you know, didn't cost them too much except for seeding. Yeah. Right. And um, maybe you hope, I mean, it's, we're talking about Virginia Tech, but maybe you hope the NCAA tournament committee takes it into account, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if Virginia Tech has is almost perfect without with Couture, and then had that bad stretch where he wasn't injured, right? You know, but and now they're yeah they're the do they're doing well with him. Yeah. Uh, you know, they did that when Tech lost Justin Robinson. Yeah. Uh, the Tech got a four seed that year, and I think most people thought they were going to be a five or a six. Yeah. Um, and remember, Virginia Tech announced that day Robinson's back. He's going to play in the NSA tournament. They they announced it yeah. that afternoon, about five hours before the final decisions were made. Uh, you know, very good timing there, right? So we'll see. I'm not even really thinking about that too much right no, now. There's a lot of basketball. There's a lot of basketball left. Yeah, I, I think the other. I think Virginia Tech's formula offensively is pretty simple, right? You know what you're going to get from Hunter Couture. You know what Justin Munt is going to give you. And now, like at Miami in the first half, he didn't score. I think he finished with ten points. All of it came in the second half. But when Couture and Mutz are playing like they are, you need a complementary big which Grant Bazzilli has really come along late. He's been playing like one of the best bigs in the ACC as of late in this last five, six-game stretch. Even defensively, because his shot blocking is one of the better numbers in the I ACC. Think, I, think he, I think he's more locked in defensively. Mm-hmm. I think that improvement has been big. Because before, I think you could go back to uh, maybe Jesse Edwards in Syracuse in that first meeting up in the Dome that you were at, Gio, where... Mm-hmm. where Teams were going at Bazilli and at Mutz. Like, if you remember that game on the road at Clemson, they just attacked Tex inside. And and Bazilli wasn't doing a great job, and Mutz wasn't doing a great job. And I think both of those guys are playing much better, and Bazilli coming along helps that. And I also think it's Sean Padula coming along. Him playing within the offense. We talked about this a while ago. He's a really talented kid, mm-hmm. but he's only a sophomore. And him, I, I think he really took a step in terms of his own maturity in that UVA game where he settled down and he didn't try to do too much. He let the game come to him. He made the right plays. He took a shot when he needed to, but it wasn't like he, like Mike Young said after the game, he only took two bad shots, right? It wasn't like he was coming down and throwing up a three because he felt like he needed to respond. He played within the system. And when Virginia Tech's playing like that, you just kind of need one or two complimentary role players coming off the bench. MJ Collins, John Camden, they've played well. I think it's all meshing. And if that's that formula continues to work, I think that this Virginia Tech team is going to have a lot of success down the stretch. If you get the right players into Mike Young's system, you're going to score a lot of points. I was in a room with Buzz Williams one time. When he was the coach at Virginia Tech, before anybody ever knew that that Mike Young was going to be Virginia Tech's next coach, and unprompted, Buzz Williams called um, called Mike Young one of the top five offensive coaches in college basketball. Really? Yes. Wow. So, and that's coming from a guy who it's not like Tech struggled to score points when when Buzz, Buzz was here, here right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think Virginia Tech is a very efficient team on the offensive end, and and. Mike Young really knows he knows how to recruit to his system and he knows how to adapt certain things of his system depending on who's in the game. Um, so I just think we're brilliantly coached on the offensive side and whenever we lose, it's more times than not, it's not going to be because of the offense. It's sort of like the opposite of football. Yeah. 
David, you both mentioned uh, Hunter Couture, and you mentioned the fact that every time UVA seemed to go on a little bit of a run and draw this closer and you, you start to worry a little bit, boom, somebody was there with a big shot and Tech pulled away again. Most of the time it was Hunter Couture, who went scoreless in the first half, knocks down three massive three-pointers in the second half, uh, very timely shots, by the way, uh, ends up with 10 points on the night. And like I said, it just felt like every time UVA was getting back into the game, Hunter Couture was the man with the response. He had his foot on the V for one of those shots. That was, he was inside the V. Inside it wasn't the v. just his foot on the V. Yeah. Um, he was. Yeah, I thought he was frustrated in the first half. Um, well, Reese Beekman is a ins- excellent yeah, defender, yeah. And, and he frustrated right. Couture. And UVA's wall coach, Tony Bennett, knows what he's doing on the defense. And uh, So, yeah, the other, other teams have good coaches and players, too. So yeah. you've got to be patient and wait for your opportunity to come and not force stuff. Um, so when Padula was struggling earlier this year, he was not patient, and he was not. He didn't wait for his opportunity to come. He tried to force it. Yeah. And in effect, those are turnover possessions for Virginia Tech when you take bad shots. Uh, so Couture just, you know, he let the game come to him, and it finally did. You could tell he was frustrated. Um, there was one or two possessions, like in a row or a span of three or four, where Beekman made a really, really good defensive play. I mean, that's why Beekman's an NBA prospect, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he he was really, really talented, but Couture did. A really good job defending him on the other end, mm-hmm. but I thought what what carried Tech through that was Padula playing well, right? Mm-hmm. If Padula, if Couture is is getting a little frustrated, and then Padula gets a little frustrated, then things get out of whack. And and I think, I think Couture and Padula, I think everybody kind of settled down. And and I thought Couture in the second half, Mike Young, you, Mike, you asked Mike Young, Geo, after the game, um, and he just kind of laughed because it's like that's Connor Couture for you. He's just going to hit some big shots. Um, he's just going to keep shooting it. Um, I thought I thought he was really big. And again, I thought a lot of that came from just the ball movement and Justin Mutz and Grant Bazilli being big weapons inside, right? If UVA is not doubling Justin Mutz, that necessarily doesn't open up, you know, Hunter Couture or somebody on the outside. Grant Bazilli had a, a big three or two, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when it came down to it, you know, Tech got some dribble penetration I, I thought everything w- was clicking and everything opened up and, um, you know, Lynn Kidd came in and scored yeah. some. I, I was I was honestly surprised Kidd didn't play more, but I think it was because the the starting five, like Bazilli and Mutz, were just so efficient that, that it was hard for them, hard, hard for Mike Young to take them off the floor. Mm. But, like, that's two games in a row now where kids kind of came in and scored uh, two games in a row against UVA where kids come in and scored four, six quick points. Yeah. And, um you know, again, when you can get that kind of immediate production, I think it kind of helps everything flow. I so. wonder what his points per minute numbers are this year. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm planning on writing a basketball article later Who are we this talking week. About? Lynn, Lynn Kidd. Kidd. Right, so, I'll uh, look it up. I think no, don't look it up. I want to, it's going to be an inside the numbers article. You can't give that away for free on a podcast. So I've actually been, <laughs> I've actually been writing I've been writing stuff down about Lynn Kidd. So since we're talking about him, last eight games, uh, first of all, he's shooting sixty seven point one percent for the season. 67%, two out of every three. His last eight games, he is 26 of 33 from the field, wow. 78.8%. Wow. Um, so, And that includes a game where he was two for five from the field. So other than that, he's 24 of 28 in the seven other games. That's, wow. That's really, really good. And again, uh, he's, he's kind of a guy where I think Mike Young wants to play him more. 
But when Grant Bazzilli's playing like the way he right. is, you can't afford to take him off the floor. I think there were a couple times where, God, I can't remember who was on the floor with Kid when Kid came on. Um, but like Kid came in immediately, and I think it's interesting because UVA and Tony Bennett have Caden Shedrick, and he's a, a really big body. And that's two games in a row where he's barely played. And he's kind of the tech version of Elijah Poteet, very mm. big and muscular and isn't a, as mobile. Um, but he's barely been able to play because in the JPJ game, Lynn Kidd took him to town and scored like yeah. two or three quick baskets. So he, Kidd's emergence off the bench has been huge because there's not really any drop-off. You know, a kid basically gets the ball, posts up, backs the guy down. And I think a lot of times you're kind of looking at it going, he's not going to make that. And then it's like a little little hook shot and it goes in. Yeah. It's like, all right. He's good with that little hook in the paint. Well, what I think is great about that is, you know, he, he got a lot of hype in, in the offs in, in before the season started. We had Mutt sit here and, and everybody everybody's asking the question, who's going to surprise everybody this year? And to a man in multiple interviews, the coaches and players all said Lynn Kidd. And if you've been around sports enough, you kind of you tend, tend to think to yourself, eh, okay, we'll see. But it's absolutely true. If he takes – this is putting too much on him, but if he takes another jump like that after this year, he's going to be an outstanding – he's already good. Yeah. He's going right. to be a reliable starter next year. Yeah, no doubt about it. I want to talk, though, more about MJ Collins. First of all, starting off with his toughness, mm. two games in a row where popped in the there mouth. was Jeez. bloodshed. Well, this time it was bloodshed. the nose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, it, it popped, popped in the face. Yeah. Well, so this time around, it was Mutz hit him. Okay, I don't, I don't right. know if you, okay. I don't know. So, so I was talking to him after the game, and of course, um, M MJ was talking to his family on the floor afterwards after I come out of the post game, and um, MJ's family is great. Um, and of course, I wrote a feature on MJ earlier in the year, so I know MJ pretty well now. And and I asked him how he was feeling, and he said, "I was like, what happened?" And he literally had the f the video up on his phone, and he literally showed it to me. And Mutz basically spun around the corner and basically just popped him in the nose. Oh, um, so yeah, that's two games in a row where he's just bleeding all of a sudden for no reason <laughs> in the line of fire. And it's not a coincidence that like. Tech's defensive play kind of went downhill when he came off the court against Miami. I agree. David, you were back behind me. I was on the floor. You were on press row on the same end of the court when uh, MJ comes over to the bench and they're, they're attending to him. And he's got his head back like this. And he's got like three medical staff around yeah, him. Yeah, because it, it was gushing. Right, right. But Mike Young comes over and yells something. I don't know what he said. I was going to ask it in the press conference, but just didn't get a chance to. I don't know if he was mad at him about something or if he was trying to hype him up or about something. But Mike Young was like in his grill yelling at him as he's getting attended to. I just huh, thought that I was an interesting moment. I was wondering if you no, saw I, that. I did not see that. No one is hard to tell because he was kind of like in that right. in that corner up against the wall. Well, but. the thing about Mike Young is sometimes you can't tell when he's like mad or mad yeah. or, because he doesn't smile. Right. And I don't say this in a, in a negative way, <laughs> but occasionally you'll see the corners of the mouth slightly turn upward. <laughs> but even when he he's one of those guys, when he tells a joke, it's with a straight face. Um, when he's encouraging you, it's with a straight face. It's it's there. There's there's not. He's not a big smiler. It doesn't mean he's not happy or he's not fun to be around. He just. He's the, the type that even when he jokes, he doesn't smile. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, you you bring up beer in a press conference and Mike Young will smile. That'll right. That, that's <laughs> yeah. true. But, well, why don't you do it one day, David? Uh, well, I usually do it afterwards. Uh, so, 
I'm not going to out Mike Young. I was, uh, was going to say what, Mike, what Mike, Mike said afterwards. Somebody asked Mike if it was time for a cold beer, and he was like, oh, yeah. And it's like 2 o'clock on a Saturday. Um, but, no, I, I think – but back to your question, Colin's toughness, man. I mean, he he has stepped into a role that if you told us at the beginning of the year, right, Darius Maddox, Rodney Rice, both of those guys were going to be taking up almost all of those minutes. Collins was going to be playing sparingly. And Collins is playing thirty over thirty minutes a night, and he's playing good defense, and his confidence continues to rise. Mm-hmm. and And the job he did, whether he was guarding, Couture spent most of the game guarding Armand Franklin, um, but but he guarded Reese Beekman a little bit. Um, UVA has so many weapons, and he did such a good job on whoever his task was. And kind of what what Will said earlier about the guys talking about Lynn Kidd. One of the things that has been very consistent about MJ Collins is the coaches and his teammates always praise his basketball knowledge and IQ about how he always knows the defensive scout for every single player he's guarding. And I think it speaks a lot about somebody when he doesn't expect to sh- he doesn't expect to score, but he wants to come in and play defense because he knows that's where he benefits the team the best. And that's what he's doing right now. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think he's got a really bright future at Tech. He kind of hit the freshman wall there for a while, but then he busted through it. And, you know, his head was always in the game. Um, You've got to guard him now out to the three-point line. Mm -hmm. Uh, That little backdoor cut that he had against against UVA was was impressive. Um, I think he's, he's a really valuable piece, and he's not coming out of that starting lineup even you know, whenever Maddox comes back. I would agree. It's, it's his now. I think he's the most athletic player on that roster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He makes Well, a, we don't know how like, good of an athlete Rodney Rice is. True. he hasn't played yeah. yet. But MJ, <laughs> like, flies through the air yeah. when he dunks he, the ball. He does. Like, yeah. It's it's another level stuff. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. Uh, what did this win against Virginia uh, do for the Hokies' NCAA tournament resume, David? I think it's marquee win. That's what you needed. Um, we... Chris and I have talked about it multiple times. Last year's Virginia Tech team did not have a chance at a quadrant one opportunity at home. Right now, Virginia Tech has a quadrant one win, although I haven't checked in that net this morning, so I don't know how far Duke dropped. Oh, they dropped out. They dropped out. They're so, not a quad one win well, anymore. So until Miami demolished Duke last but, night, Duke but, was a quadrant one win well, at home. Well, now Miami's top 30. They basically switched spots. Okay. Duke is 29. Oh, they are 29? So okay, they still are, barely. But, cool. Okay. Yeah. So, but so... Last year, Tech did not have a Quadrant 1 opportunity at home. Tech didn't play a Quadrant 1 game, period, at home. Mm-hmm. Tech beat Duke at home. That's a Quadrant 1 win as of now. And Tech beat Virginia at home. That's two Quadrant 1 wins at home. You have to win those games. You get another one against Miami, too. And Tech did. And if Miami keeps it up, you'll get another one in a week or two against Miami. Miami's number 30. Yeah. yeah so, Nick so, says Miami's right. 30. They are. So how is Duke 29 and Miami's 30? Oh, it's just, just efficient. I mean, it's, it's efficiency. It's, it's efficiency. And, yeah, just efficiency yeah. analytics. But but yeah. I, I do think that 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 it, it's a big win because at the end of the day, you need to prove that you can get big wins. And guess what? Virginia Tech is still winless on the road. Mm-hmm. Virginia Tech, Mike Young called it gross defense on Tuesday <laughs> against Miami, and it was, right? I mean, Tech allowed, yes, Miami's a top 10 offense in the country, but Tech was shredded by Miami's offense. But 
Tech showed that it can compete with a top 10 team in the country, and that's big. And guess what? Now you put yourself in a position where you've got another marquee win on your belt. Two quadrant one opportunities remain at Duke, home against Miami. Go make something happen. And I think if if Tech can continue to win the games it's supposed to, this is what I wrote before the Syracuse game, right? If you win your quadrant three and quadrant four games and then pick up a, a Q1, Q2, to win here or there, win the home games, you're going to put yourself in good position. And again, who knows what the NCAA tournament committee is going to take into account with in terms of Hunter Couture's injury. But this Virginia Tech team continues to show that when it is on, it can play good basketball. Now, can you string multiple wins together? That's the big question. And the Hokies, you know, Mike Young's never beaten Boston College. Mm-hmm. That comes Weirdly up Wednesday. Enough. That's going to change tomorrow. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go out on a You better knock on wood. Uh, but... But Boston College comes in on Wednesday, and then you go on the road. And those are two road games you should win at Notre Dame, at Georgia Tech. But Tech is winless on the road. So I think if, if Tech get plays well in this next stretch of three games, that bodes well for the rest of the season because it shows that, that even though these teams aren't very good, you are getting over a hump that you couldn't get over before. And obviously, you need a certain number of wins to make the NCAA that tournament. That too. Like, there's, no, it's not set in zone. You have to win this amount of games, but like, you're not going to make it with 17 wins. Yeah. Right. Or 18 wins, uh, most likely, unless you just played a hellacious schedule. Maybe you could get in at 18, but that's not tech. Um, so you you need to win those games just to get your win total up. At this point, um, but I was never like down. Like even when Tech was one and seven in the ACC, I never. I didn't feel like the NCAA tournament was at, was out of reach. I feel like that's a strange thing to say. I just felt like that's how big Couture was. Yeah. His loss was. And now he's back, and Virginia Tech is the team I thought they were, that I, that, that I thought they would be. And I feel good about the rest of the season. Yeah, We'll see where it takes us. It's interesting how, how an injury like that can change a team's trajectory mm-hmm. for the positive, right? I don't know if we would have seen the same, if we would be seeing the same kind of MJ Collins, the same kind of boost from John Camden. I don't know if Grant Bazzilli would be the same player if Couture never got injured because, like, that's just something we just don't know. But they had to kind of a little bit reinvent themselves when Couture was injured, right? Couture was out for four weeks. He only missed four to six games, but Tech was different. And then. Couture comes back, and they're all better because of it. So I think uh, we'll see how it ends up. But, I mean, maybe that was a... No, it's not a blessing in disguise because they'd be, they would have won three more games well. now, David. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're coming from. but <laughs> for, for us old school guys, um, uh, the my, my senior year in high school was when NC State won the national championship, and they had Derek Wittenberg out for a significant amount of time that year. Mm-hmm. I think he hurt his ankle against Virginia. was out for a while. And part of the thinking at the end of the year was that while he was out, the rest of the team got better. So when he came back, they were a better team than they would have been otherwise. That's kind of a, what do you call that? That's kind of what I'm trying to say. Putting a positive spin on things. Um, I thought certainly when Couture was out, it really affected uh, um, Sean Padula's play. But that was also a time period when, for the most part, Grant Bazzilli kind of went invisible. And, and you guys were talking earlier about Bazzilli, so uh, I looked at his last uh, seven games. He had four points against NC State and Castle. 
I mean, I think he got into foul trouble, if I remember correctly. Yes, yeah. and, and he was just persona non grata. And at that point in the t- at that point in time, his scoring average had basically come down to where he was averaging thirteen point two points a game. Seven games since then, he's averaged eighteen point seven per game, and it's raised his average from thirteen point two to fourteen point nine. Um, and I, but I think he started doing that before Couture came back. So a couple games before, yeah. I, yeah. I think you can separate Bazili's struggles from Couture's struggles. I think Bazili was going through his own thing. Yeah, you know. But but I I do think I I I, I think that kind of shows. I think Bazili Bazili made some. He was making some silly plays. Well, he's stronger with the ball now. He's stronger, but I think defensively he wasn't as good, right? right. He'd pick up a, a foul trying to hedge a screen 30 feet away from the basket. That got him in foul trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the game against Clemson where somebody had a breakaway and he fouled the guy, picked up his second foul and had to go to the bench. I just don't think he was playing as smart basketball. Right. I, I think... I think... The margins were so slim when Couture went out that yes. Tech had to play smarter basketball. Mm-hmm. Tech couldn't. Couture accounts for so much. Very similar to a guy like Keve Aluma, right? Last year, he covered up so much stuff. Couture covers up so much stuff on the defensive end. Tech had to play smarter basketball. And I think everybody kind of learned from that. And I think, yes, Bazili was going through his own struggles. But then you get Couture back, and then you get a good Bazili back, and then Padula starts to come alive. And the gears start turning again. So Hunter Couture is twenty twenty three version of Derek Wittenberg. So <laughs> book, book your Houston hotel rooms for the first weekend of April. Texas won the national championship. <laughs> All right. So uh, last one last thing. I got a bunch of notes here. Um, so uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Tech has now won three in a row at home against UVA, and three of the last five overall. So Tech's three and two in the last five. So I kind of looked at at at. Uh, uh, Stretches in time. Um, when Seth Greenberg arrived in 2003, from 2003 through 2009, Tech went 7-7 seven and seven against UVA. Now, overall, Tech is 59-97. and 97. UVA has controlled the series and is up by a significant margin. But from the time when Seth Greenberg got here, Tech was still in the Big East. They had one year in the Big East. Then they entered the ACC. Seth went 7-7 seven and seven against UVA. And that was a time period when UVA, I think, had Pete Gillen and Dave Lato coaching them. Yeah. They weren't that great. Right. You know? But still, that was a There were a, a nice couple of Deron Washington buzzer beaters and big blocks yeah. in there, if yeah, I remember I think, correctly. Yeah, wasn't that their first loss in JPJ? So yeah. uh, 2010 to 2014, that was a dark time. Tech went 1-9 against UVA. Um, let me back up a little bit in time. Uh, Chris, you may remember this. Um. Ricky Stokes in his last game against UVA oh, yeah. beat UVA by almost twenty points. Uh, I was like it was a seventeen point game, seventy three to fifty five. I was a, was I was a sophomore, score. and it could have been worse. But like I remember, Tech got a run out in that game, and Brian Chase tried to throw it off the backboard to Brian Matthews for an alley oop on the on on the breakaway, and he he couldn't he couldn't pull it in. The, the the it was a it was a bad bounce. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there like we almost pulled that playoff, which easily would have been number one play on Sports Center, and everybody would have been amazed. Yeah. At the same time, that's why we were so bad under Ricky Stokes. Is, <laughs> just just put put the ball in the basket, right? Don't try to make Sports Center be play discipline, good discipline basketball. But yes, oh, so they they crushed them that year. They also crushed UConn. Yes, that's right. They also crushed Villanova. <laughs> I mean. And then w- lose to St. John's and, and you know, who, whoever else 
th- were whoever playing. else was off. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, let, let's get back on track here. 03 to 09, 7 and 7 against UVA, 2010 to 2014, 1 and 9. From 2015 to the present, uh, now Tony Bennett arrived in uh, 2009. Yeah. So 2010 to 2014, again, one and nine. 2015 to the present, Tech is six and nine against UVA. And that's uh, against a Tony Bennett coach team that is is in its rhythm and is that good. That won as a national championship in that space? Th- th- there's, there's not going to be that many teams with a better winning percentage than that. That would be an interesting research project. See if any, what other teams? If, if any ACC team in that span has a better winning percentage maybe, than that. Maybe, maybe than four, six out of 15. So what maybe, is that, about 40%? 40%. Percent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe, I, I, maybe Duke? I doubt it. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting stuff. All right, well, let's flip the script and talk about Boston College now. Coming up on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. tip-off in Castle Coliseum. That'll be televised on the ACC Network. Boston College, 11-13 and 13 on the year, 5-8 and eight in conference play. Good for 11th in the ACC, which is actually one spot ahead of Virginia Tech, who sits at 12th. They're coming off a loss to Syracuse, but they've won three of their last five. So has Virginia Tech, uh, including wins over Notre Dame, Louisville, and get this, a win over over Clemson, the, the other loss yeah. uh, besides Syracuse was to UVA in Charlottesville. Uh, Tech seen the Eagles once already this season. What gave Virginia Tech trouble in Chestnut Hill? Well, so uh, I've got a question for you. What do these four games have in common? The loss at Coastal Carolina, the home win over Minnesota, the loss at Boston College, and the loss at Clemson. Uh, Charleston. Yeah. You said Coastal. You're talking about Charleston, Charleston College? Co- College sorry, of Charleston. College of Charleston. Sorry, the loss at College of Charleston, the win against the win against Minnesota, the loss against Boston College on the road, and the loss against Clemson on the road. What do those four games have in common? Tech shot the ball poorly from three. Well, not necessarily. That's not what I'm thinking. Of. Turnovers. Tech had that. Those are the only four games where Tech has had a more turnovers and assists this year. Mm. Those four games. Now, three of them came on the road, and three those three were losses. Minnesota is just a really bad basketball team, yeah. but but that's what gave Virginia Tech trouble last time, and that was the time when Will, Chris, and I, after National Signing Day, were sitting in PKs watching. And it's my fault. Never should have known. Should have known. Never watch a game <laughs> PKs with Will because we never win when that happens. But and you ate pizza instead of so a instead of a cheeseburger. Uh, but Tech played bad basketball, like and that. That was Hunter Couture played thirty five something minutes in that game. I mean, he played all but like the final five or six minutes, I think. In this, that well, he got hurt with five or six minutes left in the, regulation. Yeah, and then it went over. And then it, yeah. yeah, so he he his injury wasn't necessarily the difference. Tech was already played bad basketball. Yes. It was sloppy. Tech didn't get to a rhythm. And and like we kind of talked about, right? You're playing on the ice hockey rink. It's cold. There's nobody in the stands. It's Boston College sucks, right? But Tech just couldn't get into a rhythm. Tech couldn't do anything. And I think that's basically, like, Tech just played really, really, really bad basketball. That that might have been one of the worst offensive performances Tech's had all year. Uh, yeah, no question. Uh, it's the rare, horrible offensive performance by Virginia Tech. Um, uh, it's the Conte Forum, like you said. So Duke almost lost up there. Granted, Duke's not that great this year, but they still they're a lot better than Boston College, and they almost lost up there. Clemson lost up there. Clemson's a good basketball team right now. They're first in the ACC, right? Tech is gonna 
easily handle Boston College tomorrow. The, the toughest road environment will at Boston College. Yes, it the is ACC? because there's no environment. Yeah, well, that, and that, yeah, I think <laughs> you have to create your own energy. Don't right. drag me in this discussion. You know how I feel. About Boston <laughs> well, I College. think I think Geo to answer your question, I think one of the big things was was Tech was just sloppy with the ball. Like it wasn't like no offense was being run. Yeah. The defense was eh, but what when you're playing. When you, you turn the ball over like 16 times, you're not going to win a basketball game. Like It's really, really hard to win a basketball game when you can't score the ball. That was at the point, about the point where we first really started talking about Padula trying to do too much on the I, offensive yeah. end. And it got actually got a little bit worse after that when, when uh, Couture got hurt, but that's he's played really well his last few games, I thought, um, and seems to have put that issue behind him. So... I don't think Tech's gonna have much trouble with them. Uh, yeah, I'm. I don't. I don't. Want to uh, well, it's it, strange to say, considering Mike Young's never beat them, but yeah, Tech is a lot better than Boston. I, I College, think. I think at home. It, again, if Tech plays like it did against UVA, Tech's gonna win. Yeah, no question. And it's sold out again. Is Every it? home game is sold out for the rest of the season yep. in Castle, which is pretty cool. Yeah, how about that crowd on Saturday? It was great. Oh, it was fantastic. It was great. When when uh, when the bacon hit. And that was the loudest I've heard it. Probably, I mean, I've only been here for two years, but that was the loudest I've ever heard Castle. That got really loud. Yeah. yeah. Will, what was it like on TV? Um, so for those that don't know, I did not go to Saturday's game. Um, I didn't think the crowd was mic'd very well Saturday. Interesting. Um, looking at some of Geo's footage that he shot from the floor, it was just, and, and looking at some of the photos we took during the game, uh, I, I have this weird thing where my favorite sports photos are taken where the athlete doesn't fill up the frame where there's a little bit of perspective and you see the action, but you also see the crowd behind the athletes. And if you guys, here's a tangent. If you ever get a chance, uh, well, anybody just watching now, Google uh, Julius Irving Rucker Park, and you'll get a picture of Julius Irving standing on the court at Rucker Park up in, up in New York. And across the street are kids on like a four-story school building hanging out the windows and things like that. It's one of my, it's probably my favorite sports photo ever. One of my favorites. Interesting. So anyway, back to the topic. Uh, I thought looking at pictures and looking at uh, court-level video, it was a lot more fun than it was on TV. You know, it just, it's just kind of hard to express it. Like I said, they really didn't do all that great a job of miking it. And I'm sure people that watch Tech on basketball on, on television a lot, also agree with what I'm about to say. Tech needs to do a little something with the camera angle to get it up above the crowd. There are too many moments where somebody literally just standing up and going to the concessions walks down in front of the camera. And there's a lot of times where people put their hands up and it's so just they've got their platforms over the tunnels, put a little something on top of the platform. And I think they're in a strange the situation where if they raise it anymore, it's going to hurt the it's view. It's going to block people. views. Right. That's true. We went to a game a couple of years ago where I actually sat in an mm -hmm. obstructed seat mm -hmm. by the camera and I would have to lean out and, and look and see. So that's mm -hmm. a good point. Right. So, uh, and Gio, you shoot from some of those spots sometimes. Oh, yeah. 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 So that probably is an issue. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think there's any way you can get that perfect. That's, that's, true. Just, that's true. It's just an arena that was built in, the 1960s, a long time ago, you know? before they knew that they would be shooting five camera. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 
No doubt about it. All right. Well, if Hunter Couture doesn't, and, and I know we kind of touched on this, um, but I'm very curious to see what you guys have to say. Yes, they were playing sloppy. I find it very hard to believe, though, that if Hunter Couture doesn't miss the last four minutes of regulation and overtime against BC, that Virginia Tech loses that game. It, I think it, they it win if he's the, there. It, you could make that argument. I'm not saying they would, but and I'm not going to say they would because they didn't play well with him on the court. Like, they didn't play well for the 35 minutes he was out there. But they only lost but, by a couple points. Correct. So it might have made the difference. But that said... They didn't do enough in the 35 minutes when they had him for me to give them the benefit of the doubt on that. Okay. And Tech, if I remember correctly, uh, Tech Bazilli hit a three. To take a lead with what, maybe two minutes left yeah, or something? Yeah, and Tech yeah. blew a lead. Yeah. So, yeah, I I, I, I agree with But Chris. you're right. I mean, look, Tech is two or three games Probably three games better right now with Couture. Yeah, I think healthy you, Couture. I think tech, tech, we're not even have the conversation yeah, maybe, about the NCAA maybe tournament. four. Yeah, four I, four at a maximum. I think. Yeah, that's why well, I'm going I, two think, at a minimum, four at a maximum. So I'm going three. Yeah. Well, I think the definitely the Wake Forest game. Wake Forest, Clemson, NC State. Yeah, and who? Yeah, and who knows? About, the three. I'm and going. who knows about the Boston College? Game. So, so here, here, here's the argument. But we had Couture are, the second time. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the argument that Hunter might not have made much of a difference. He played 30 minutes in that game. He was 2 of 5 from the field and had five points and a couple of turnovers. Uh, really didn't have much of an effect on the game. Now, but he is your your clutch guy who could have finished. Yeah. And he's your best defender. Tech, yeah. Tech didn't run an offense in that game. Yeah. What, that, that what, when, when Tech runs their offense, he gets open shots and he scores. Yeah. yeah. That was the big thing, I think. You I mean, we were sitting next to each other eating pizza, and it was kind of just like. And I kept saying, run the freaking offense yeah, every, over and, and over. Well, and over. Well, but it's like, why is Tech turning the. Like, why is Tech. Tech is, is essentially. It looked like street ball out there. It did, there. it did. And, you know, that was the point in the season where they were playing a lot of street ball. I listened to the post game after the Minnesota game, and, you know, Mike Burnup's always the positive guy after the game, and he was like, you got to be pleased with a win tonight. And, and Mike Young goes, nope, not really. We're not playing very good basketball. We look like street ball in July out there. And that was after a double-digit win against Minnesota. So Tech was winning, but they were not playing well. And that – you know, continued to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, they played well against, you, you know, UNC, but UNC's not that great. It's not, uh, that's a home game you should win against North Carolina. Yeah. With right? Baycott out. Well, especially with Baycott out. Um, even with Baycott, they're, they're not yeah, that Tech good. Yeah, Tech didn't, I don't think Tech, and I think Couture kind of set that back. I think Tech didn't really start playing good basketball until you could maybe say the UVA game on the road when, when Tech shot almost 50%. and. Yeah. Just played a really good UVA. Yeah, team. yeah. Well, I mean, listen, Tech is what lost. How many games have they lost? Eight. Yeah. Nine. Nine. Fourteen to nine. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, yeah. lost to Miami on the road, who's ranked. Lost to Clemson on the road, who's ranked. Lost to UVA on the road, who's ranked. Lost to College of Charleston on the road, who's ranked. Right. So. Who's been ranked? Who's been ranked? Yeah, uh, and who's a definite NCAA tournament team. So. You know, you've, you've got a lot of losses in there that on um, the road losses. Yes, Tech hasn't won a road game, but I mean, they've had some, they haven't played their easier road games yet, with the exception of Boston College, but that's a little bit different yeah. because there's nobody there. Yeah. So it's so a lot of winnable road games coming up. Tech is three and six or seven against quad one. Tech yeah. is, uh, yeah. Nick says three, three and six or three and seven against quad one. Yeah, yeah I'm going to, I'll, I'll go check after this. Yeah. Who on BC's roster is the toughest matchup 
that they have to offer. So I, I will say this: Quentin Post, tech, uh, BC's big man, did not play in that first meeting. He was injured, um, so he's going to provide. He's no James Carnick uh, for, for Will, <laughs> um, but but he's going to provide. Jordan he's, Chatton. He's going to provide a little bit of a mismatch. Um, I think the the Langfords. Um, they're both they're both really really talented, really really shifty. Um, again, I but I think. Again, if Sean Padula plays defense like he did against Kihei Clark, who's one of like, he's just slippery. He's just really annoying to defend because he just stops and goes and stops and goes. If Padula can play defense like that against other point guards in the ACC, Tech is going to have an advantage in every ball game. And I think, I think that's probably going to be one of the keys to the game tomorrow. Nothing about Boston College scares me in Castle Coliseum. That's true. I think they're a well coached team. I do think that they get the most out of their talent. They just don't have talent. So they don't scare me in Castle. They scare me to death in Boston, but right. they don't scare me at That's all. That's more Castle. because uh, you're playing on a hockey rink, right? Hokies are three and five in quad one. And another another net note I wanted to get out there while I was looking at this: um, going into last night's game between Duke and Miami, that was last night, right? Yes, sir. Yep. Going into last night's game, Duke was twenty fifth in the net. And Miami was 39th, 25th and 39th. Today, Duke is 29th and Miami is 30th. They were separated by 14 spots, and in one night it went, it shrank down to one. It was yeah. what can happen in a blowout loss. A 22-point win. That's yeah. the reason they took out margin of victory as, a, as an element and of the net rankings. Well, the efficiency was, was already there. So by counting, by, by giving extra points per se to uh, double-digit wins, to blowout wins, uh, you were in effect counting margin of victory twice because it's already counted really in gotcha. efficiency rating. Like if you blow people out, you're going to have higher efficiency ratings, right? So that's one of the reasons they took that out so it's not counted twice. Yeah, but Miami, Miami's a really good basketball team. And, and again, At home. Miami's really that, good. Yeah, when Miami comes to cat, and that's the thing, Miami and Virginia Tech play really good basketball games every, every single time. Every time they play recently, it's been really good. Yeah. Yeah, that one is uh, that one's probably the most exciting one uh, left, yeah. I guess, besides on the road at Duke. Circle that one. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, I want to go around the circle here. Let's get a prediction. Everyone, knock on wood, though. Prediction though for uh, for Wednesday night. <laughs> Predi- like score prediction. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Virginia Tech by mm, Virginia Tech by eight. Sixteen. Wow. Will. I thought as a joke of just getting up and leaving without making a prediction. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going there. I predict Chris will eat a cheeseburger. All right. No, no, The streak's broken. The streak's broken. Oh, yeah. that's okay. That, that was broken against to, uh, Miami. Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I and yeah. I texted that morning, and I said, I texted our group. We have a group chat, and I texted. I was like, Mr. Coleman just checking in. It was like three hours before tip-off. Just checking in that your cheeseburger order is yep. is still intact. And yep, I had one maybe I PKs. Uh, so that broke the streak, so I didn't have one before the Virginia game, and they won. So, so now the streak I can get is... back to watching my waistline, fortunately. Seriously, go. I'm not going to predict anything. All right, I'll say tech by a million. There we go. Except <laughs> uh, for my no prediction. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, last, last, and but certainly not least, before we take our break and we talk women's basketball, I know that Chris and Will were both at baseball night in Blacksburg. What was that all about, and how much fun did you guys have there? Oh, I had a great time. Uh, it's funny that my affiliate. I mean, I grew up a huge Braves fan, mm-hmm. massive Braves fan. Went to my first game in 1989, and that was it. Um, 
So I never thought my affiliation with with the with Virginia Tech would lead me to the opportunities to meeting people like Andrew Jones. You know, I've met Andrew Jones a couple of times through Brad Klontz and now Chipper Jones also through Brad. And it was Brad who set up the baseball night, yeah. you know, because Brad who pitched for Virginia Tech and then pitched for the Braves and won a World Series of the Braves. He's very tight with Chipper. Uh, so it was, it was it was great. It was great to uh, for that event to happen. My only complaint is that whenever I bid on an item, Evan Hughes didn't ignore everybody else's bid. <laughs> it's like, come on, Evan. You're supposed he to, said he's uh, supposed so, to do me a solid so I, here. I, I saw Evan yeah, afterwards, and Evan, so Evan said I, he he kept calling you the man in the back, the man on the corner, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah I don't. <laughs> but no, I'm just I'm pulling his leg. But it was a great event. the The best part of the event, though, was you know having a uh, we bought one of those tables where two current tech players sit with you. So you know there were five of us plus two tech players, and you know we got Carson Demartini, and uh, he was outstanding. Uh, Nick Holisa, was that how you pronounce his last Holisa. Holisa, yeah, yeah, uh, who plays first base. Um, he was outstanding. Uh, that was the best part of the event. Like, with so many people there, you don't get one-on-one time with Chipper Jones. Like, when I met Andrew Jones, I actually sat in a baseball dugout. Well, I met him twice. Tailgated with him one time. Second time, I actually sat in a baseball dugout with, with Andrew Jones. It's not like that when you meet Chipper Jones at an official event. Yeah. Right? You don't get much time with him. So the actual highlight was having those two guys sit at our table, and I thought they were both fantastic. And we're actually going to have Martini on, on the podcast here pretty soon. Yeah, so the format of the evening, it was in the Student Athlete Performance Center, which is the big athlete cafeteria. Okay, and the, yeah, yeah. The, largest it's ever been and and it was it was full in there there were 40 some tables um so it, it, this is about a four-hour event first hour was just hanging out drinks and getting up going up and getting a picture with chipper jones and then the second to, to third hour was actually sitting and eating dinner and then evan hughes got up in front of everybody with chipper jones and did kind of a q a thing chipper uh didn't want to get in, get up there and stand behind a lectern and, and talk. So they did a Q&A with, with Evan, and Evan asked some really good questions. And then they did an auction, so that's what that's what Chris was referencing. Uh, they, they actually auctioned off one of the Virginia Tech sledgehammers. Really? Yeah, yeah they did. Yeah. Really? Um, that's actually pretty I cool. forget how much that went for, but I think it was the most expensive well, What thing. did you bid on? A chipper signed a baseball signed bat? bat, yeah. I think I went up to like a grand and I was like, cut it off, Evan. And no, I just kept going. God, come on, man. So at, at our, there were eight people at our <laughs> table, including two, uh, two baseball players, as Chris said. And it was good because we actually needed to schedule this podcast with, cast with Carson. So it was nice to have him right there and talk. And, about you know, there were so many former tech players there, too. Uh, Joe Manaply was Chad there. Chad Pender, Joe yeah. Manaply. Joe Manaply was an Mike, all-star this past year. Mike Williams. Uh, Mike Williams. Uh, you know, and tech's recent players who just got drafted. Yeah. Uh, were all there. there. Yeah, there. you know, it was everybody. Um, so and, and, Cross, it was nice trouble. to meet Joe Manaply because he's from Pennsylvania County like me. Um, and I think his brother's a tax sideline subscriber. Nice. Um, yeah. So, uh, so he knew, he knows who we are and everything, everything like that. He knew who I was when I talked to him. Um, so it was good to, uh, it's good to catch up. I would love, I think football, it's really, you got 85 scholarship players. So unless you picked like your 20 best talkers and put them at tables, you couldn't do an event like that for football, but I think it'd be great to do an event like that with basketball. Like you could. I mean, you could pay to have Justin Mutz at your table, mm. right? 
uh, or Hunter Couture, whoever, and our basketball players have, have very good personalities, and they'd be good in settings yeah. like, like that. Um, and I think they could raise a lot and of money for the program. the alums would be, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, bring Justin Robinson in for an event like that. Now, it had... Somebody that was alums, they play overseas basketball. He was at the UVA. The are different. Yeah, yeah, he was. Him and, he was and Greg Donlin and, and, and Devin Wilson. And Devin Wilson were all here. So, yeah, I think that could be a great event for basketball. Um, so, uh, Tech Notes, Mike Young, Virginia Tech basketball program. I, I right. think I think that's – you got a revenue stream that you could tap in on right there or maybe even one of the NIL groups if you really yeah, wanted to get thinking, the yeah, of. That, that might be a – because, because I, I don't, I don't think the basketball program. Hmm, how do, I, I don't want to insult the baseball program. This is a fundraiser for the baseball yes. program. The top table was a twenty five thousand dollar table, right? And I don't think that wound up even selling. But I ran into Mayhall, and he said that he'd bought two tables for a total of fifteen thousand bucks. So this is a fundraiser yes. for the the baseball program. Um, I'm not sure basketball in air quotes needs to do that. So to me, it really seems like more of an NIL opportunity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean, I feel like something could be done. And you can, again, it's harder to do with a big sport like football where there's so many there's players, just 13 scholarship basketball players. Yeah. You know, I, I think I felt like an event like that, if done properly, could could be really beneficial. And yeah. it's one of those things I would certainly go to. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we'll turn it over to Will. Anything in the fourth chair from the comment section or uh, no, anything I spent like that? Everything, man. There, okay. there, aren't, there aren't many comments. And, and, you know, early in the podcast, I was taking all kinds of notes and I've said all of them. All right. Well, when we return, Virginia Tech women's basketball made history last night and did something that they've never done before. We'll tell you all about it on the other side of the break. But for now, we'll step aside. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to episode 283 of the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by First Bank and Trust Company. The Tech Sideline Podcast is also presented by the Hokie Way. The Hokie Way supports the active engagement of student-athletes in leveraging their name, image, and likeness to amplify the mission of charitable organizations as a way to give back to the community, encourage a new generation of Virginia Tech athletes. Visit thehokieway.org to learn more and to support Virginia Tech's NIL efforts. All right, let's get into our second half of content. We've shifted around the stage a little bit here. Will Stewart joins us, and uh, in Chris Coleman's seat now is David Cunningham. Nick Brown still behind the scenes, of course. I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. All right, 11th-ranked Virginia Tech women's basketball went on the road last night and took down their ACC foe, 22nd-ranked NC State in Reynolds Coliseum. It marked the first time in program history that Virginia Tech has beaten NC State on the road down in Raleigh. David, you were there. Take us through your night last night. Whew, uh, first of all, that's a really cool place to watch a basketball game. That's one of my favorite venues I think I've had the opportunity to cover a game at. Um, Evan Hughes was up in the rafters. Because really? There just isn't much room at all. Of course, it was Play for K, um, the 18th annual Play for K game. So that was a, a really big deal. Um, of course, that's all the cancer survivors and stuff. They honor them at halftime. Halftime was about 20 minutes long. The game was on ESPN2, only the third time in Virginia Tech's history that has played a regular season game on national television. The second time was in December at Tennessee. So, And the Hokies have NC State and on the 19th, I believe, um, in Castle. And that game's on ESPN2, too. So 
big opportunity on national television. Obviously played for K-Game. Debbie Antonelli came out at halftime and, and talked about cancer and K-Yow and all that stuff. And it was really moving tribute. Um, but the Hokies played really, really well. They played really good basketball. Um, it was the Georgia Amor and Liz Kitley show, in, especially in the second half. Um, they combined for 52 points. Had 31 of Tech's 34 second half points. Georgia Amore had 20 in the second half. New career high, 27 for her. That duo, NC State just just couldn't stop Kitley and Amore. And it, it got to the point where, you know, Amore would get the ball at the top of the key and dribble one way, and they would screen for her. And NC State would try to hedge it and stop it. And then she'd go back the other way and Tech would rescreen it again and NC State was trying to basically freeze it and, and defend it and stop them from rescreening and couldn't because Amor's that quick and Tech was that smart about the way the, the way they handled it. Um and it, it was a really good performance all around. Hokies held NC State to six assists which is kind of like unheard of in college basketball. Like, I couldn't tell you the last time a team had six assists in a big game. Um, it's just really good performance all around. Obviously, Kitley and Amor kind of stole the show. But, I mean, to, to win a game in Reynolds Coliseum in that type of environment, it's only like 5,000 people. Really, really, really loud. Um, to do it, to get a, a quality victory. Um, I think the funniest part was that Kitley and Amor and Kenny Brooks after the game were all kind of just like, we, that's something we expect to do, right? They 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 have gotten to this level where where they are that team. They can do it. It's not like, oh, this is going to be an upset, right? Virginia Tech was a higher ranked team yesterday, and you know I just checked Charlie Cream's bracketology in the break. Um, ESPN has the Hokies as a four seed in the NCAA tournament right now. They they deserve to be there. They which really means well. they would host, correct? Which means there would be a. NCAA tournament regional in Blacksburg. Right. So you mean to tell me that the only point by an individual not named Kitley or Amor for Virginia Tech in the second half was that Deja Gregg three? Correct. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. That that's was crazy. I mean, and then that's how and that's how good they were. And NC State, you know, I asked Amor what was helping her last night, and she said, well, a three ball was working, but she her mid-range jumper. You know, she's like, I usually don't take those, but NC State was just giving them to me. And so I took them. So then NC State's five, NC State center, who was guarding Kitley down low, kept having to hedge out a little bit more, which opened up stuff for Kitley down low. Six, uh, Kitley, Kitley had, I have the box score in front of me, Kitley had uh, nine baskets, and six of them were assisted by Amor, mm. which were all of Amor's assists. Very interesting. Which kind of goes to show you that that a lot of it was just people, you know, like defenses were, the defense was kind of shifting away onto Amor because she was shooting the ball so well. And there were a couple times like Amor drove into the lane, both defenders crash, and she just gave a little dump off pass to Elizabeth Kitley for an easy layup. And I also think Kitley got a little bit more calls than usual. Um, I, I asked her about that, and she kind of chuckled because she was like, yeah, I thought the game, I thought it was like, she didn't say that she thought it was called more fair, but like, I think there were a lot of, a lot of calls where it wasn't like any, every single call went for Gene Tech's way, but it wasn't like they were letting Kitley get, 
you know, punched and hammered down low. So I wanted to get into that with you because so that answers part of the question. Did she just get more calls? And I thought watching the game, she was getting more calls. Do you think that uh, NC State tried to defend Kitley in Duke style where they crashed two and three players on her? Or did she also just have more room to breathe in general? I think a bit of both. I think okay. I think they played her. Well, so, and I mentioned this last night when I was talking to a friend that was there covering the game. Um, it, it's really interesting when Virginia Tech plays. Like when Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech has that was the first of five straight ranked opponents left. I believe the only non-ranked opponent on the schedule is Georgia Tech, left for the Hokies. When the Hokies play the t- type of teams they're playing right now, in NC State when they play at Duke, when they play North Carolina, when they play Florida State, those teams are good enough to defend Elizabeth Kitley one-on-one. Like, like for the most part, right? They'll send a little bit of help defense, but all, a lot of the other teams in the ACC, we've seen Virginia do it, we've seen Pitt do it, we've seen Syracuse do it. you got to play zone because that's how good Elizabeth Kitley is. And I think NC State went straight up, and what helped was NC State got in foul trouble. Um, Camille Hobby finished with three fouls. Uh, River Baldwin finished with three fouls, and those were the two big men for for NC State, right? Kitley was just, it wasn't like she was doing anything more, I think, than she usually was, but I don't think, like in the past, the Tech-NC State matchups have been Elisa Cunane on Elizabeth Kitley, and, and Cunane is good enough to handle her by herself, right. where, where she, Kitley's not going to be able to just bump her around. And Kitley was able to kind of get really good position. And then there were some silly fouls by NC State where it was just they got a little tangled and and like Kitley got knocked in the face by an sh- arm flying around and they got a, a foul. Um, but I thought Kitley was in really good positions and I thought the way Tech used her was smart, right? They didn't try to, they didn't try to necessarily force it. They kind of let everything play around and then picked moments to go inside to her where they threw it down low, and if it wasn't working, they didn't try to force it. They kicked it back out, swung the ball around, and then they tried to go back to her again down low, you know, on the baseline. And she she was 9 of 15. I mean, she didn't hit every single shot, but she was pretty efficient, and it also helps when you got a guard like Georgia Amor that can just go off. Yeah. Um, so I did not realize going into this game uh, because my 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 paying attention to Virginia Tech women's basketball has kind of just come and gone over the years. It hasn't been as consistent as you guys. I did not know that NC State dominated the series like this. Going into last night, NC State was twenty six and two against Virginia Tech. It's not just that Tech was zero and twelve in Raleigh. Oh, it, Tech had it, only ever beaten them once, twice. It's or, sorry, twice. They're yes. three and twenty six uh, now, and yeah, and now, both of those were in the last ten years. Yeah, the interesting thing about that is that Tech has won. Tech is two and four in the last six. So other than that, they're one and twenty. Yeah, and I just, I just was not aware that NC State had dominated. Like well, that. when you think, you know, KL was there obviously for a really long time. Um, I mean, this is an NC State program that's been to the NCAA tournament like thirty plus times, right? right. Virginia Tech, I think, has been there thirteen. That's kind of shows you the levels, right? That in NC State. Um, NC State's historically a really, really good program. Um, and I think even the times where Tech was really good under Bonnie Hendrickson. Um, Bonnie left, like, right before they entered the ACC. Yeah, so maybe they didn't play. But but Tech was really good in that 2004 to 2008 
era, right? I think tech pretty good. Yeah, tech. There were there are two times. T- that was the third time Virginia Tech and NC State had played where Tech was ranked higher last night. But that was the only. T- but th- but the previous two times NC State wasn't ranked and NC State still won. And that kind of goes to show you how like just good NC State was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I. You know, I, I wrote a story on it that we published yesterday morning because I wanted to highlight this. This is this is a really good ACC rivalry. Virginia Tech and NC State go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth every time they play. And I think that's a little misleading because Virginia Tech has been a lot better. Like the two and four in the last six, Virginia Tech in both the regular season games last year, I mean, those were... That was a two-point game and a six-point game. Like, those mm-hmm. games were really, really close. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Lisa Cunane and NC State having a lot of experience made the difference. But I'm very curious to see if the trend continues in the ACC where there's a little bit of a changing of the guard, right? Um, NC State doesn't have the ex- necessarily the experience anymore that, that other teams, that they, they once had. Virginia Tech has... Has a little bit of the experience. What happens if Elizabeth Kitley decides she wants to come back? Yeah. Right? Um, I think there are really, really good teams in the ACC, but NC State's starting to slip a little bit because it doesn't have that veteran presence anymore. And, um, you know, last night, Virginia Tech just kind of exposed NC State. And and it was a, it's a statement kind of win in terms of you win in Raleigh for the first time. But like I said before, you know, Kenny Brooks and Elizabeth Kitley and Georgia Amor kind of looked around like, we, these are games we expect to win. We expect yeah. to be here. We're the higher-ranked team. This is not like an upset or anything. Um, well, NC State's 6-6 six and six in the ACC and, and <clears throat> had a little bit of deja vu. When I went to see NC State and Virginia Tech in wrestling, the Hokies only won 16-14 to 14 in wrestling, but I walked away thinking Tech was a lot better wrestling team, and I haven't felt that way in recent years. Yeah. And watching this game, sure, Tech got up 13-2 to two and 15-4, to four, and that kind of colors your th- – and they led the whole way. But I just came away from it thinking, looking at NC State going, eh, not that great. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I didn't think it was anything super impressive. Yeah. Um, but I tell you what, hot start, right? Right. Uh, Kenny Brooks mentioned it, and, and the players mentioned it after last Thursday. They, they beat Syracuse, but started really, really slow. And and they, they talked about how... Elizabeth Kittley and Kayla King talked about how they are kind of they kind of like feeling people out, teams out, right? Especially teams that they aren't used to playing. Syracuse had one player that they had seen before. That's kind of the era of the transfer portal. Yeah, and they like to feel teams out in the first quarter and kind of get used to what they're throwing at them. And Kenny Brooks said, "We need to be the aggressor." Virginia Tech led thirteen to two after four minutes yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like. You know, it wasn't like that was all most of the way through the first quarter. It was it was like that. Yeah. What is it about this team, though? You mentioned the Syracuse game was pretty close until the fourth quarter. Uh, NC State made a couple of pushes. They got it all the way down to within two at one point in the third quarter. And then it was the fourth quarter that allowed Virginia Tech to really pull away. What is it about this team down the stretch uh, late in the game? They're really good. (laughs) Um, I I think having Georgia Amor helps. Um, I mean, she's just... I'd be curious to know what Debbie Antonelli and Beth Moen said about her on the broadcast. Um, because, I mean, just just like I'm sitting on the baseline next to Carter Hill and and just watching the way she played. Like, she she was just... Yeah. It, it was like she just couldn't... She was just feeling it. She was making shot after shot after shot. NC State couldn't guard her. And I think 
she's one of the most impressive players in the conference. One, because she was so underrated coming out of, I mean, she's coming from Australia, right? That's kind of maybe what you would expect. Um, but she wasn't highly rated and um, makes me think back to the, the, the feature I wrote on her uh, in the preseason about how Kenny Brooks went all the way to Belarus to get her right. Kenny Brooks said, she's going to be my point guard and he got her and she's fantastic. Um, But I also think tech played really good defense. I mean, the Hokies just didn't really let NC state get into a rhythm at all. Um, NC state only had two players scoring double figures. Didn't shoot the ball. Well, Kayla King got into foul trouble and the Hokies went zone. And NC State still couldn't do anything. Tech out-rebounded NC State by 18. Yeah, it was a large margin. It, it was just, wow. Tech controlled pretty much every facet of the game. And, and I think it's a well-balanced team that has different players that can step up, right? Past couple games, oh, Taylor Soul was that player a little bit. Yesterday was Georgia Amor and Elizabeth Kitley, right? There, there have been some games where Kitley has not been on. And, and they've needed other players to step up. And I, I think that's kind of the the mark of a really good team when it doesn't matter who's on, who's off. Somebody's going to step up and have a good game for you. Well, when, when you give them room to breathe and you let them play, they're a very good team. It's when it's when they pack down and start beating the heck out of Virginia Tech that things bog down. Correct. And, and press. And, and so that was m- one of my impressions watching the game last night on television is just there was just room to work. And, and I think that's that makes Tech uh, exponentially better. So it'll be interesting to see where how it goes from here on out. Yeah, the, the teams that are, are – the teams that press – I mean, again, the 2-3 zone's been a pain in Tech's butt most of the year just because teams have been hacking at, at Kitley all season long because she's that good because that's the only way you can really defend her. But teams that press, like like Tech barely escaped Pittsburgh, right? Tech's margin of victory last night, I believe, was better than the Pittsburgh win. And Pittsburgh is the last place team in the ACC because of the style the teams played against yeah. them. So, yep. so how, like, Tech hosts Florida State on Sunday. Florida State's ranked. Then Tech's got Carolina and Duke and NC State again. How teams play Tech and leading into the postseason, if Tech ends up hosting a regional in Blacksburg, how do teams play Tech? Mm-hmm. Because it really frustrates Tech to the core if if you press them, if you trap them, if you play zone and make it really, really frustrating. Because NC State, like the really good teams, NC State just played them straight up and Tech beat them. Like Tech won almost every one-on-one matchup and just was better. I, I think that kind I of think that's fair. Yeah. I think that kind of just goes into it. Uh, Beth Mowens, uh, to answer your question, she said, and I quote, because I chuckled when I heard it, um, and I love Beth Mowens, that she went to the same high school that I did. Um, she said, uh, Georgia Amor is playing like a boss. That's <laughs> that, She said that more than once. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's um, what she said about it, Amor. Kenny, well, Kenny Brooks, um, you know, last year, before last year's North Carolina game in the NCAA tournament, or in last year's North Carolina game in the ACC tournament, which, of course, was a classic Um Kenny Brooks told George Amor during a timeout that he pulled her aside and was like, you're the best player on the floor. Go prove it. Kenny Kenny said he texted her on on Sunday night and said, you're going to be the best player on the floor. Go prove it. And, and But does he text that to everybody on the team the night before? No. <laughs> That's a question. Next, time we, have, were, next time we have Kenny on the podcast. That's mm, something you need to say, ask Say, Kenny, him. tell the truth. You know, do you do this? Um, so so then whoever leads in scoring can say, you know, Kenny texted me last night and said I was the best player on the floor. Yeah, That's that, true. Something you need. Just maybe, teasing, maybe, coach. You know, just teasing. You know what you need to do is you need to ask Evan. That, that Kenny Brooks show us tonight. You need to ask, ask 
Evan ask Hughes. Evan Hughes to put in a question for you. <laughs> <laughs> Will this move Tack back into the top ten? Uh, I think it depends on what other teams are doing. I mean, you saw Tech. Tech basically was really good for a couple of weeks and barely moved because the other teams in the right. uh, that's yeah. the, that's the hard part, right? To be a to host an NCAA regional, you have to be one of the top sixteen teams in the country. Right now, Virginia Tech is. The, I think Tech's a top, playing like a top ten team. Tech beats Florida State on Sunday. Tech's going to get into the top ten. I don't think that's a question. Um, but now here's here's the big thing. You played on national television. You played on ESPN2. So many people got to see you. But you've got to keep up the momentum. And you've got to keep proving that you can win big-time games. Because if you, like, if again, if Virginia Tech comes out and plays the same way against Florida State and beats Florida State by 8 to 10, more than that, people are going to start looking at Virginia Tech going, they're for real. Right. And I think a lot of people... Not that they think of Virginia Tech as an afterthought, because I think people in the ACC know that Virginia Tech's really good, right? A team like Syracuse sees Virginia Tech on the schedule and goes, man, we got to go to Virginia Tech? That's a pain. Um, But but I don't think Virginia Tech... I think last night was a statement that Virginia Tech can compete with the teams in the upper echelon of the league. Now, can you do it again and again and again? And that's how... You get the recognition, right? That's how you you get uh, a top three seed in in the NCAA tournament, right? I, I think the the one of the biggest things is that's a big win in terms of the Hokies having an opportunity to be have a double bye in the ACC tournament. Florida State, Duke, NC State. UNC and Georgia Tech to close out the regular season for Tech. Um, what do they have to do in order to snag one of those top four seeds in the ACC tournament? Don't slip up. I, I, well, and again, it's going to be it's really really tough because like you've got North Carolina on the road, you got Duke at home, and Duke had Tech's number the first time around. Um, I, I'll, I'll use this one word: adapt. And I think that's something you and I talked about a little bit, where Kenny Brooks. Maybe at times when teams were playing zone against the Hokies, didn't necessarily feel like he wanted to adapt. He it, it was kind of square peg round hole. We're gonna try to make it work, and I think we've seen now that that whether it's Kayana Trailer scoring you know twenty five against Virginia, or whether it's Elizabeth Kitley and Georgia Amor combining for fifty two, Virginia Tech has different players that can go off. If Virginia Tech continues to find different ways to score offensively and play good defense because I think that's an underlooked part of the Hokies game. If Tech continues to to get different players the ball, Taylor Sowell has a good night, right? It can't all just be George Amor and Elizabeth Kitley, but it's not. And I think that's where Tech's at its best. And there are going to be teams that match up Tech a certain way, right? They're going to pick poison and say, okay, well, we're going to limit Elizabeth Kitley. We're going to hack her every single time. Okay, well, other players are going to have to score, Right. Virginia Tech has to figure out how to adapt to those situations. And I think, like, I think NC State didn't do a good job changing what it wanted to do against Virginia <laughs> no. Tech last night. No, Georgia being able to operate around the top of the key like that the entire game is a, <clears throat> my hot take is a failure on, on Westmore to, yeah, and to he sa- adapt. And he said that after the game. He's like, I should have called timeout and changed up what we wanted to do earlier. But teams are going to adapt. <clears throat> And it's when you're playing the really good teams and they adapt that you also have to adapt. Yeah. And and I think that 
is what's going to kind of propel Virginia Tech in the long run. David, last question for you. Um, you've been around the team. You were around the team last night. You were at the press conference. Got to talk to the players after the game. What's the vibe and the energy of this team right now? How would you describe their focus uh, heading down the home stretch of the regular season? <laughs> it's, they're good. Yeah, they, they like. Do you celebrate a win like that? Were they locked they in? Were they like they celebrate. Kobe style? Like they jobs not finished or what? They celebrate, but I. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, they celebrate, but like, again, if NC State comes to, to Blacksburg in a couple of weeks and Virginia Tech beats them, you know, it's not like a storm the court victory, right? It's right. like, we've been here before. That, that is, and I think that's, that's kind of the statement of, to see how far Kenny Brooks has brought this program, right? Um, I wrote in my story yesterday that when Virginia, like since Virginia Tech beat NC State in 2021, the Hokies have won over 70% of their games. That kind of just goes to show you that every single time Virginia Tech plays NC State, it's kind of like a benchmark, kind of a test to see where the Hokies have, have come since the last time they played. They're, they expect to win those types of games. For them, it's just, okay, we played good basketball, let's move on to the next. And I think that that's the that kind of shows just like – you had said that three years ago that they were winning, they were going to be a top number 11 team in the country and went on the road at NC State. I think a lot of people have been like, are you crazy? But that's just who Virginia Tech is at this point. And I think it, I think that's really important because they they expect to win those games. So like you celebrate it, but then at the end of the day, it's like we can't dwell on it for too long because we got to go win more of those games. So they uh, more or less have their their – own destiny in their own hands, as they say. Uh, they're they're one loss. They're one down in the loss column in the conference to Notre Dame and Florida State, and they have games against both of them remaining. Correct, Geo. Correct. Yeah. Um, they're two down in the loss column to Duke, and they only have one game left against Duke, so they'll need a little bit of help there. Yeah. And I'm just looking at their chances to win now. If you look behind them, uh, they've beaten Louisville, right, David? Yeah. Um, did they they beat Miami? Correct. No, they lost at Miami. Lost, lost at Miami. So, um, you know, still still stuff to be worked out. And I just looked in the uh, the NC State game. The the rematch is on ESPN too. Yeah. Um, so that'll be the third time this year on national television. Yeah. And yeah. before this year, Virginia Tech had only played once on national TV in the regular season, which right. again I think is kind of a, just a mark of how far this program's come. Yeah. Like like when you get invited to play in the Jimmy V Classic at Tennessee, I think that's kind of self explanatory. Anything else on women's basketball or any of the topics we've covered today out of you guys? No, I'm done, man. we got to wrap this up. All right. David, you good? good? All right. Well, that'll do it for episode 283 of the Tech Sideline podcast presented by First Bank and Trust Company and the Hokie Way. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube, and we'll see you next time right here on the Tech Sideline podcast. 